514. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com. On the show today, my review of the indie sci-fi movie The Endless. I know last week, guys, I said I was going to review Alita Battle Angel, but as sometimes happens, I will put things on my schedule months in advance and not check <laughs> not check until you know even days before the, the the day arrives to see if the release date has changed and Alita Battle Angel at some point I don't know when got bumped all the way to December so I had to scramble but thankfully um a friend of mine who's a real huge movie buff uh and uh, who you know often will get excited about movies that uh, end up being movies that I enjoy um, told me about a movie called The Endless, which is an independent movie that was, was released in 2017, but you, it's a good chance you haven't heard of it. It didn't uh, really make the rounds in theaters very much, but it has come to streaming services, at least to uh, Amazon, so I uh, checked that one out after hearing that there was some buzz surrounding it, so I want to share my thoughts on that movie with you guys today. Um, and then also, I'm going to share some thoughts from our friends at speculativefaith.com that compare the Bible to the horror genre, maybe something you haven't uh, really <laughs> considered doing before. And then also, in our In Search of Truth segment, uh, John Wilkerson and I are continuing our look at Proverbs and uh, looking at why Christian geeks should actually behave like pirates a little bit. So we'll get to all that uh, in the mix. All right, I was looking for some transitional phrases or whatever, but uh, I don't know. Let's just go. Here we go. Okay, kiddo, pop quiz time. Best movie franchise? The Terminator. Mm, not even close. The Matrix. Best TV show? Star Trek. Star... What? Farscape? You have to know that it's Farscape. Uh, It's like you're not even my son. Unless you're not my son. I don't like your voice. It irritates me. Hey, wait. Let's make another call. No, please. And another, and another, and another. You are very messy. (laughs) Okay, bye-bye. The Endless. This is an indie movie that has been getting a little bit of buzz, and uh, I decided I want to see what this buzz is all about. 
It's available to rent or buy digitally on uh, Amazon, maybe other places as well, but I rented it on uh, Amazon.com. The synopsis on IMDb reads, Two brothers return to the cult they fled from years ago to discover that the group's beliefs may be more sane than they once thought. Um, this Talking about the story and the, just the tone in general, the script a little bit, the pacing, things like that... Um, it's a bit of a slow burn at first. I would say the first maybe 45 minutes, I was kind of waiting for things to kind of really pick up and go off the rails. The story felt like sci-fi that was weird and in rare cases a little creepy. But I kind of wish they hadn't done what they did. At the very beginning of this movie, with just a black screen, they show in white text... A famous quote from H.P. Lovecraft. I say famous because I, I I know I've seen it a number of times before, maybe at the front of other movies, you know. But uh, Lovecraft said, The uh, oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Um, so when you put that at the front of your movie... And it's not part of the marketing campaign. You know, I mean, we can get to a discussion of, well, it's not fair to ultimately judge a movie based on the marketing campaign for it. Okay, well, let's set that issue aside. This was the first thing that you see of the movie is this quote from Love, Lovecraft. And so that said to me that it would be fair for me to expect this to be a Lovecraft-inspired story that at the very least, if it didn't go into like Cthulhu and weird <laughs> crap like that, um, at the very least would be about an unsettling vibe rather than like jump scares or, you know, whatever else. Uh, this is going to be about bizarre, unexplained happenings. Fear of the, it's going to really leverage fear of the unknown. You know, I wasn't expecting, say, Event Horizon or In the Mouth of Madness, uh, but I, I at least thought that I would feel unsettled by something in this movie, and I never did. The two lead characters uh, also never seemed to be themselves truly unsettled by what they experienced. Um, I mean, not in the way that you would expect it, that, that, that read to me in a strong way. I mean, I felt like at most they were like, hmm, this is weird. Isn't this a little bit weird? I mean, like, and I'm expecting when you put a Lovecraft quote at the beginning for people to be like, questioning their sanity because of the bizarre stuff that's going on. I, I, I expected to see a, a few more beads of sweat, or any beads of sweat, you know, from uh, their concern over what they were experiencing, you know. Um, and so they certainly never headed toward panic, or, or definitely not madness, uh, and that's fine, but I, I would think at least something on the road to panic would have been appropriate uh, for a movie that starts with an H.P. Lovecraft quote like that one. Um... Apart from that, I think the script has what it needs for me to enjoy it. Um, there are an increasing number of strange behaviors and events. Um, so I, I think that they were going for a Lovecraft-inspired type of thing, because they would have these little bizarre... Uh, I don't even know what you would call them. Um, motifs, almost. Like, there's kind of a, a bizarre smoking motif. Um, and a, and just a few other little things that are recurring that it's like, oh, what's that about? And just had me wondering. 
so they were weird, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, every once in a while seeing a child, you know, running around in the background with a, sh a, a, a like a bloody a sheet over their head and scratching at their face or something, and they just walk by and there's no explanation for it. You know, that would be like weird. That would be like seriously bizarre. And I, I would be like, what the crap? And that's what I was missing. I think the what the crap kind of uh, moments, you know, um, just anything that was truly eerie. Uh, instead, it was just, you know, just some some strange behaviors, I guess. Uh, and that, that felt to me more weird than unsettling. And um, where other stories of this type have some kind of horrific unveiling at the end uh, that either reveals the true nature of the numerous mysteries and weird things we've been seeing, or jarringly just kind of cranks the what the crap dial up to 11. You know, like that that moment in, uh, you know, th th that type of moment. I won't say which movie this is from in case you haven't seen it. You know, where like suddenly you see this guy who you've been wondering where he was. He's been gone for a while and acting really weird. All of a sudden you see him. He's ripped his eyes out and he's like, where we're going. We don't need eyes to see. You know, I mean, like, what the crap? <laughs> You know? And again, it's not that I was expecting something that extreme or gory or whatever, but um, the ending just did not feel at all like this kind of unveiling of like, oh my gosh, this is the the true nature of reality or the true nature of this situation once the, the surface coating is pulled away is so much stranger and horrifying and bizarre or whatever. The, the, there was an unveiling moment. I could tell like this is the unveiling moment. You know, this thing that had been locked away, this room that they had not had access to for the whole movie, they were suddenly given access to at the very end. They go in and yeah, it was a little weird. I was like, oh, this is really strange. What? Hmm? But I didn't feel like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, there were also recurring moments of humor that, that surprisingly uh, made me laugh, which was nice because that's rare for me in, in movies. But I also wonder if they further worked against me ever potentially feeling unsettled. Oddly enough, I don't think, despite some of the, the issues I've expressed about the script, I, I don't think changing the script, and by that I would specifically mean the dialogue, the plot, you know, some of those more surfacey elements, I, I don't think changing the script would help me uh, as much as changing how the story is told stylistically. Um, and I'll get to that in just a minute when I talk about visuals a little bit. The uh, the cast is made up of completely unknown names to me, although some had what felt like familiar faces. I don't know if I've seen them in something before, actually, or maybe they just kind of have a look, you know, one of th that look, you know. <laughs> uh, the performances from the supporting cast of cult members felt pretty grounded to me, but at times the two lead actors who were also di busy directing this movie, and I wonder if that affected their their performances, uh, because they felt now and then a little wooden to me. Um, sometimes this worked well because it kept them grounded, but other times I, I just kind of expected more intensity, and again, that may also be related to how I think they should have behaved psychologically. So that may ultimately be a little bit more of a script issue, I'm not sure. Um, but I would have liked for some of these supporting characters to uh, also become more extreme and bizarre as the movie continued. Uh, a couple very minor characters provide this kind of escalation, you know, as the characters get closer and see these characters that uh, are clearly, you know, uh, in a state of madness. But most of the cult members merely show a different set of emotions. 
later in the film, rather than become more extreme or more strange or something. So, I don't know, something wasn't wasn't escalating uh, in the way people, the characters behaved in the back half of this movie that I, I kind of missed. As far as the visual style goes, the filming style is pretty straightforward. Uh, you know, handheld camera operation, I think, most of the time. And I wonder if this is an area that that if could have like um, made a big difference in my enjoyment of the film, and could have taken it further in that unsettling you know vibe direction, if they would have made some changes here. You know, I wonder if maybe using just some strange, unexpected shooting angles, or maybe some jarring editing, weird stutter effects, and who knows what else. Maybe that would have made a you know a difference. Maybe a very significant one. I don't know, or just some kind of like stylistic. Uh, visual choices that that could have been done differently. I, I I suspect that could have had a huge effect on my feeling of being unsettled or feeling like what is going on or whatever. I also think that the score could have contributed to that feeling a lot more. Um, that if they would have used a score that created more tense or unsettling vibes for me, combined with you know sl- uh, slightly more unusual choices in the the visual style, um, I think that could have made a big difference for me. But it, the score largely stayed out of the way and didn't contribute to the mood much for my experience. Um, so is there anything of worthwhile moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in the themes of this thing that might stimulate worthwhile thought or conversation? I think that's... Well, for me, I would say no. Um, now and then the movie has what feel like some teaching moments. There are you know, little comments or observations from characters that are almost, to me, blatantly presented as, like, kind of nuggets of wisdom. In fact, one character even says, you know, it's like, can I just give you, impart some wisdom to you or give you a little piece of advice or something like that, you know? And then he gives a little pearl of wisdom, you know? And I I felt like that kind of interrupted the flow of of conversation, you know? Like, this is what I've learned being in this weird, bizarre environment, you know, and let me pass this on to you. Um, But those actually, those little, what I would call teaching moments, were less interesting to me than trying to figure out what the movie as a whole was saying. Given the resentment the younger brother feels because of the controlling tendencies of his older brother and add to that the resentment several characters feel toward the unknown entity that's controlling the environment freedom and equality in relationships seemed to be a value that the movie wanted to affirm um was it possibly also commenting on our relationship to god you know was any resentment toward the thought of his rule motivating the writing process i don't know i wondered that briefly but I I don't know. If they wanted to say something more than good sibling relationships are built on mutual respect, then I needed them to spell it out more clearly for me. Um, Let's see here. I have no idea what your thoughts are and your tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter, um, skip this one. Uh, That or just really try to not... (laughs) watch the first uh, few moments of the black screen because it'll put a quote up there that will just set your expectations in the wrong direction. But even apart from that, if you just go in expecting um, an indie sci-fi movie, I don't think you want to pay more than a dollar for this. And I, gosh, yes, skip it. I think even renting it at Redbox and having it on while you play a video game, I don't think it's going to really be worth it to you or memorable. So, yeah, skip this one, Pater. Uh, It's not rated, but I would equate it to a movie rated R for language mostly with a few PG-13 blood splatters.
I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POS, TOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Our friends at Speculative Faith are lending us another article, this one titled, The Bible as Horror by Mike Duran, published on July 10th, 2018. He writes, One argument for the compatibility of the horror genre with a Christian worldview is the amount of horror tropes which find their genesis in holy writ. At its heart, the greatest story ever told is, in part, a horror story. This is not meant to suggest that the message of Scripture is primarily one of dread, but that the Bible contains more than enough references to terror and the horrific to at least call into question its classification as family-friendly fare. There are many instances of biblical horror, scriptural themes, events, people, and stories that could easily fall under the horror genre. Perhaps the greatest example of biblical horror is the single act that uniquely defines the Christian faith, the crucifixion of Christ. In our age, the crucifix symbol has been glamorized and sanitized. It is brandished by rock stars and imprinted upon bumper stickers and t-shirts. Nevertheless, the cross was a horror in its time, a symbol of disgrace, shame, and torture. Many have illustrated the gruesome medical details concerning the practice of crucifixion. In The Horror of Roman Crucifixion, Stephen M. Miller frames the process like that of butchering an animal. Likewise, the terminology used to describe the Messiah in Scripture is arresting. He bore our suffering, was punished by God, stricken and afflicted pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, Isaiah 53, 5. The Apostle Paul summarized what transpired on the cross this way, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Two important biblical doctrines intersect at the cross of Christ and his redemptive work. Both of these doctrines comprise what could be considered to involve horror or the grotesque, the fall of man, and the substitutionary atonement. These powerful biblical doctrines are wedded at the cross. Man's sinful estate and all of his subsequent fruits were judged at the cross of Christ, where him who had no sin was made to be sin for us. So great was this pouring out of wrath upon the Son that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. Christ, who often claimed to be in perfect union with the Father, such as in John ten thirty, was abandoned at the cross. It is impossible for us to comprehend the anguish, suffering, and despair Jesus must have experienced. The substitutionary atonement of Christ may in fact be the most horrific concept in all of Scripture. Not only does it speak to our moral and spiritual fallenness, it places the consequences and weight of that fall upon a sinlessly perfect God. The themes of fallenness, sin, 
and judgment are axiomatic in Scripture. Not only does the Bible not shy away from showing us the sin and utter depravities of man, even the greatest of Bible heroes are not exempt from its claim. Furthermore, there are unflinching depictions of judgment upon sin in Scripture. The flood of Noah, the plagues of Egypt, the Canaanite extermination, Sodom and Gomorrah, Ananias and Sapphira, the great white throne judgment, the fiery return of Christ to judge the nations, and hell itself are terrible glimpses of a holy God's divine right to wield the gavel. Closely aligned to this is a belief in real evil and real evil beings. Relativism suggests that knowledge, truth, and morality are not absolute, but exist only in relation to culture, society, or historical context. However, it is the belief in real existential evil, as opposed to something that is simply a social construct or a perceived threat, which is so important to a compelling expression of horror. Pazuzu, the demon that possessed Reagan in The Exorcist, was not just portrayed as a figment of her mother's imagination or a socio-cultural concoction, nor was the entity just a threat to the girl. Pazuzu was the personification of evil, an opponent of all that was good, true, and holy. The demon was portrayed as real, which demanded an equally real god to evict it. Likewise, supernatural agents such as angels, Satan, and demons are portrayed as unapologetically real in Scripture. Of course, many faiths have detailed beliefs in good and evil spirits of various sorts. Nevertheless, the Bible is foremost in describing a hierarchy of invisible beings, both good and evil, who interact with our world, serving God or resisting His aims. This worldview is an integral component of both the religious traditions of the Western world and much of the horror genre. Similarly, evil spiritual entities are also a mainstay in contemporary horror. Whether it is an angry poltergeist, a demonic legion, or Satan himself, the basic idea of an invisible realm that impinges upon ours and wars against us, seeking manifestation or control, is uniquely tethered to the worldview of Scripture. Not only do fallen angels personify the defamation of what is holy, they are reminders of man's ultimate adversary. Though relatively rare and obscured in the Old Testament, the devil and his minions make regular appearances in the New Testament. Jesus' ministry began immediately after he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness in Matthew 4, 1-11 and Luke 4, 1-13. This is followed by numerous stories of Christ casting demons out of the sick or mad. Perhaps the most famous of these is the encounter with the Gadarene man who lived among the tombs possessed by multiple demons who called themselves Legion in Mark 5, 1-17. In all of these cases, Jesus treated Satan and his demons as real beings, neither myths, local superstitions, nor purely psychological disorders. Likewise, the New Testament writers saw the devil as a very real adversary. The Apostle Paul described the Christian life as a struggle against spiritual forces of evil in Ephesians 6.12, while the Apostle Peter suggested that Christians must be ever vigilant of the devil's schemes. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
Obviously, the writers of the New Testament saw the devil as a very real adversary and warned of very real consequences to spiritual sloth or immorality. Perhaps the most horrific universal biblical archetype is that of a literal hell. Those who emphasize Jesus' message of love often neglect to mention that he spoke about hell more than any other single Bible figure. Though there are differing perspectives amongst believers about the exact nature of hell, i.e. annihilation or eternal conscious torment, scripture is fairly clear about its existence and essence. For instance, in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25:31 through 46, Jesus concludes with this pronouncement upon the wicked. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25:41. The fire is eternal, and apparently some portion of the human race end up there. Explaining the parable of the sower from Matthew 13:1 through 23, Jesus said, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew thirteen, forty through 42 Thus, the end of the age is portrayed as a sifting, a weeding out of evil, in which souls are thrown into a blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whether or not hell is actually a literal, eternal reality, the Bible is clear about several things. Hell is the worst possible end for a human being, the most horrific possible conclusion to one's life, and something to be rigorously avoided. While the Bible is often referred to as the good book, within its pages are some truly bad, disturbing, awful things. Depravity, judgment, the crucifixion, angels, demons, and hell. In many ways, the greatest story ever told is a horror story. Again, that's The Bible as Horror, written by Mike Duran, who also wrote an article for the summer 2018 issue of the Lorehaven magazine. That's a free digital magazine for Christian fans of fantasy, sci-fi, and beyond. In the summer 2018 issue, Duran surveys the genre of horror in history. You might also be interested in a couple videos I put out a while back that I'll link to below the video version of this content. The first one, Is Hell Really What We Think It Is? Duran touches on the idea of whether or not hell is... Uh, literal or figurative or eternal or annihilation and so I take a look at those topics and uh, tell you where I weigh in on them. Again that video is titled Is Hell Really What We Think It Is? And the second video I would point out to you is Should Christians Enjoy Scary Slash Horror Entertainment? Which uh, covers the topic of how should we as Christians navigate the genre. I for one am a big uh, fan of the horror genre but uh, how do we navigate that? So that video will hopefully be helpful. Both of those videos, Is Hell Really What We Think It Is? and Should Christians Enjoy Scary slash Horror Entertainment can be found at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. Data collection complete. Activating Usenet 1.0. 
The launch for the Spirit Blade Productions Patreon is scheduled for Friday, August 10th, as I mentioned on the podcast last week, so I'm just reminding you of that again. Uh, Patreon, for those who don't know, is a platform that allows people to support their favorite creators through a fixed uh, monthly donation. Fixed in that it's, I guess, recurring, but you can actually change uh, the amount that you donate each month. There are multiple donation tier options, starting as low as a dollar a month, and each subscription tier comes with its own set of rewards, and I've been cooking up some rewards that I think will be a lot of fun and that uh, that you guys will hopefully enjoy, so I hope you'll stay tuned for more information on that as we get closer to the launch on August 10th. At spiritblade.com, our summer sale is still running, where you can get any or all parts of our Spirit Blade audio drama trilogy for 20% off. More details at spiritblade.com. Uh, what else? Oh yeah, at youtube.com slash Central this week, I've put up uh, last week's uh, what do you call it, material uh, <laughs> on the book of Proverbs, the video version though, um, where we talked about uh, wisdom and self-destruction and the scoffing geek as we looked at what Proverbs uh, had to say. And uh, you can also find this week the speculative faith video that I put up featuring Mike Duran's article, The Bible as Horror. Uh, then I also put up this, the second hour of my last live stream in which I talked about the topics of objectifying women uh, in uh, entertainment and then also gaming like a hermit <laughs> and some of the reasons that I uh, prefer to game that way. And then finally, by now, you should be able to find my uncut video version uh, of, of my review of The Endless. So all of that over at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. And while you're there, if you would like, share, and subscribe, and click on that notification bell, I'd be very grateful. All right, I think that's it for now. Let's keep going. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth sets you free. Right now, we're going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of what I would call the churchy language that we can often take for granted, digging into history and languages uh, as we're able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. Uh, Now, we're not formally trained in Scripture, just a couple guys using resources and questioning minds to try and get at the truth. That's something that we can all do, so uh, I hope that you'll do that with us. John Wilkerson from the Christian Geek Central community has been joining me for a conversational series looking at the book of Proverbs. We're just starting chapter two now, so I will leave it at that and drop in the next part of our conversation right here. So we're now in chapter two, and uh, how about verses one through eight? Um, I'll go ahead and read through those. Some of these, I mean, like... I don't have I don't have any particular confidence in how I've divided up these chunks if they you know if if they're good yeah. divisions it's it's hard I, to divide sometimes yeah I divided them one through five and six through eight and then nine through twenty two yeah I did nine um, through twenty two yeah okay so let's I'll read one through five and then we'll pick up six through eight 
Okay. Uh, so one through five of chapter two in Proverbs, in the ESV anyway, reads, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. uh, so what would be your, kind of like your gut reactions to that? Well, um, you know, this is, it's, it's kind of strange because a lot of times with, with many uh, of the wisdom books in the Bible, it doesn't, a, a lot of the chapters don't seem to have a flow between the two of them. And yet this one does. You know, Solomon kind of starts out with a follow-up with his thoughts on wisdom. And he talks about receiving them and treasuring them, you know, storing them up. Uh, meaning that the words are valuable and they need to be kept safe, guarded, um, kept safe for future use. Uh, he he recommends to, you know, in, in the New King James Version, it says incline to pay attention, right? Uh, and, and apply your heart. So there's action required. It's not enough just to hear. There, there's, there's, there's action required on our part. And then, and then his 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 commentary kind of intensifies, right? He start, talks about crying out and lifting up your voice. Um, there's this intensification. Uh, so, you know, not giving up when you seek. So, uh, and then he talks about how precious uh, it is as treasure. And I don't know why I put this in my notes, but I have in parentheses the word pirate. You know, <laughs> you know like you think thinking of a pirate going after treasure. Yeah. I don't know why, but if you... But but when you think about you know you think about a pirate, uh, you know the stereotypical idea is that when they find this treasure, what are they going to do? They're going to hide it somewhere to keep it safe and, and bury it and put it away uh, because it's so valuable, uh, and, and because of how difficult it is to attain. Right. So a, a you know a pirate on the seas when when they're, it, it, it takes a lot of personal effort to get that treasure, and and the same is true. Uh, when you're seeking after God's word, and you know it's it, um, you know like like learning a new skill, the harder it is to learn, the more intimate we become with it, hmm. right? So with wisdom, uh, wisdom is hard to attain, and so we have to become intimate with the author of wisdom, you know, with God. And until we can gain that in intimacy with him, uh, we're not going to be able to, 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 to find that treasure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found um, verse four to be very piercing to me as I uh, read through it, because there's no way that I pursue wisdom <laughs> like I do uh, some of the, uh, the the concepts of success that the world offers or other creature comforts, you know, that I would uh, be pursuing. Um, and I've even seen like the blessings of biblical wisdom and the pitfalls people fall into for ignoring biblical wisdom. So right. I, I should really be able to appreciate its value every day, but I don't. So, I mean, I need to be reminded of the of the nature and, uh, and value of wisdom. And, and like you said, there's this intensity that he's calling for, for us to seek wisdom with, to seek out wisdom and understanding. Um, and through that, we're understanding more of what it is to fear 
Yahweh, we're learning more about who God is, because wisdom and understanding, you know, they come from God, and so gaining wisdom and understanding about the world uh, and how we ought to live in it gives us insight into what God values, um, and, Definitely. Therefore, and therefore insight into who he is. That was something that really, like, made the Old Testament law come to life for me when I started re reading it and realizing okay, these aren't just like commands of things that he wanted Israel to do as this set-apart nation to represent mm -hmm. him in the world. These are, all these commands, they say something about who God yeah. is. And yeah. through learning these commands and through uh, living them out, or as we would say, the ones that carry over into the new covenant that we're under now, uh, through, through devoting ourselves to that, like in this the laboratory of life instead of just the, the theoretical written exam we're learning and experiencing more of like who god is and i wonder if that's yeah. some of what's going on when uh he talks about understanding the fear of yahweh and finding the knowledge of god um, yeah. a little bit of speculation there on my part but i i wonder if that's if that's part of what's uh, what's going on there yeah well you know there's a lot of um <clears throat> there's a lot of seeking after god that needs to be done in order to gain uh, an understanding of his character. And, you know, um, by even the disciples who were exposed to Jesus almost 24-7 for three years had trouble understanding his nature and his character. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's going to take us a lot of digging and a lot of time in the Word to really understand who God is. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard work. And I know personally, I'm, I'm the same way. Do I really value God's word as much as I, I should? Yeah. And I, you know, if I'm being honest, no, no, I don't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's look at verses six through eight then in the ESV. It says, uh, for Yahweh gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. What do you think? Yeah, good words there. Um, um, you know, the idea that wisdom and knowledge and understanding flow from God's mouth. Uh, his words. So we can look within the scriptures and and we can see the wisdom of of God's word. Uh, he He reminds us again to store it up because it's valuable because we're going to need it later, right? We don't we don't study the word for something we want now. if 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 you're in a crisis, you should already have the word stored up in you so that you can deal with the crisis. I mean, that's Right, it's like a savings account. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, re really is what it is. Uh, so that so that that wisdom and that knowledge and that understanding can be dispersed not only for ourselves but for those around us. So when someone comes to us for counsel, we have godly, wise counsel to give them. And not all the answers that we're going to give are necessarily going to be. We're not going to directly find them in the Word of God. However, if we know, again, we're studying, we know the nature, we know the character of God, then we can direct people in a way of saying, this would be a godly way 
to approach this this situation. Uh, and so, and knowing that that he uh, protects us, you know, he guards the path of justice. Uh, it, it's just it, it, and and he watches over his saints. It says here, you know, this is normally something. You know, I, I love this watching over the way of his saints. That's something you would normally hear in the New Testament. Not in the Old Testament, yeah. um, and so it, it's we can see that consistency in God in, in who God is coming through here. Yeah. I mean, obviously Solomon and 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 the people who were reading this back then, they didn't have the benefit of that, but fortunately we do. But knowing that he he watches over us, that this and and not necessarily. You know, and it's not it's not always directly that he watches over us, because when when you have wisdom and you've learned wisdom from God, that's really mostly what's watching over you, because you'll avoid those problems and those pitfalls that that come with with you know being being human. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what does, seems to be the case to me here in these verses is that uh, wisdom is. A, a primary way through which God protects, blesses, and rescues us. You know, I mean, sometimes we'll find ourselves, you know, it's all hit the fan, and we're like, God, rescue me from this, rescue me from this. And God really wants to, uh, first and foremost, preemptively rescue us by yeah. uh, uh, by giving us wisdom. Um, I mean, that's not to say that, like, we shouldn't be crying out for rescue when, you know, uh, circumstances beyond our control or our own foolish choices have right. taken us into a bad situation. He still wants us, as repeatedly tells us in Scripture, to cry out to him. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me right here what he's saying is, hey, this is that, that rescue that you find yourself repeatedly wanting, this is a primary means of you being preemptively rescued out of those, of those pitfalls that you'll otherwise right. run into. Right, definitely. Feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send me an email or an audio file you've recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com as a reminder guys if you'd like some help finding a a good church in your area I want to help you if I can online resources and communities are a good supplement but by nature they just can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can the context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church so whether you're in a church that lacks Bible based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com, and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. All right, I am about ready to wrap up the week here. Uh, as I'm recording this, it's still early in the morning on uh, on Friday morning. I 
didn't sleep the best last night. I've got I've been getting like this thing in my throat, and we've hit monsoon season. So I, I was thinking a few days ago, oh crap, I'm getting sick. But I think actually, it's maybe just some pollen of some kind in the area that tends to bloom when we get those rare bursts of rain. And it feels like sickness, because I'm draining liquid boogers <laughs> during the night. So I need to take some uh, Benadryl. But my throat's feeling weird. It's the end of the week. I feel like babying myself. I'll tell you what I really want to do. I Man, I just want to play Monster Hunter World. Oh my gosh. I said this during the last live stream. That, for me, has just been the game that keeps on giving. Uh, I, it, it's, I I think it's... I, there's a good shot. I mean, oof, oh man. I don't want to get into a whole game of the year discussion yet. <sighs> I'm just rambling here. This is, just, this is your crazy random bonus content <laughs> at the end of the podcast. Um, but man, we've got Dragon Quest XI, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and then Spider-Man on PlayStation 4, which I think I, I might really enjoy. But there's a, a real significant part of me that, that thinks that at the end of the year, when all is said and done, and I'm looking back on 2018 at the end of, say, December or early January, I think I'm going to try and do my, like, my top, you know, best of stuff for movies and games. I think I'm going to try and do that in December this year. But anyway, I think when I'm looking back at 2018 in video games... That the first game that I bought that came the first game that came out that I bought in 2018, Monster Hunter World, might be my game of the year. Which is so weird. That's so weird for me to think about because I started out really disliking it. I'm kind of te- I'm, I'm kind of tempted at this point. I, I don't know that I'm going to do it. I'd have to find a way for it to work with the theming of the channel. But I've been looking for like. There's, there's kind of Monster Hunter World and the Monster Hunter games. There's, it's one of those properties that kind of has some internet snobbery surrounding it. it. It reminds me a little bit of what you can run into with, say, like the, um, the, the Souls-like games. Boy, this is really turning into this random segment I was not planning on, um, where there can be like, uh, like when people are saying they're having trouble with something, then the attitude is just, well, just get good or whatever, and, and nobody's. You know, they're not really helpful. Or if they are, they do it in a way that, you know, well, it, 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 that's kind of scoffing or snobbing, snobby and stuff like, that, like we've talked about a little bit recently in uh, in our Proverbs series. Um, and a- as I've looked for getting help with Monster Hunter World, if I go to, like, getting guides and stuff like that that are by official, I don't want to say official, but, like, you know, outlets like IGN then they're going to be more helpful and straightforward and stuff. But, like, if you just go on, on a random forum somewhere and ask a question, then people are like, well, you're doing it all wrong or whatever. Or, like, oh, that, that strategy you're using, you're using is laughable. And here's the, you know, the best build. And da-da-da-da-da. Or that strategy won't work for you for long. And there's just this weird kind of, like, ugh, man. And, uh, and even when I go to, like, look at videos, because I specifically want to play this game solo. That's how I've been playing it. It's been taking me a lot longer, I've discovered, than what is average for people who play through multiplayer to get through the game. But not in a way that's bothered me. I've really enjoyed the grind and stuff like that. Um, but there's still some things that I... I wish there were some videos out there, like, you know, 
uh, how to solo Monster Hunter World with the sword and shield, which for those who don't know, that is, that's like the weapon set that Monster Hunter World fans really frown upon. It's the easiest to use. It has the, I think, the fewest kind of like really cool benefits, but the control scheme in this is almost like learning the controls of a fighting game. So if you really want to get the benefits of a weapon set, you have to learn the different, all the different combos and stuff. And there's a real kind of delay between your button inputs and then how long it takes the animation to complete for you to actually, you know, attack and stuff. And I hate that kind of delay in, in combat controls. And so I've been going with the easiest weapon set to use, which still has a little bit of kind of, you know, delay in, in the animations and stuff. So, so it's, it's really like this, uh, this, frowned upon or this 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 weapon set that's looked down upon it's like oh that's the baby set or that's the one for beginners or whatever you know so i you know i'm playing this game with the most basic weapon set that's frowned upon i'm playing it solo which a lot of hardcore monster hunter fans would say oh you don't play this game solo or whatever you know uh well some of them would you know they're like oh i'm doing it solo that you know so i guess there's a little bit of mix out there but (laughs) But there seems to be like some uh, some uh, pride and snobbery on both sides of that discussion. But anyway, I'm just like, I am discovering that this game totally can be played solo with the weakest weapon set and pretty much button mashing for most of the game. And you can get through it just fine. And I don't see any content out there saying that. And it's a shame because I think this game can be enjoyed by people who would normally not touch the Monster Hunter games with a freaking 10-foot pole. And I would love to get that message out there somehow with a video or something like that. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I'm not just going to put random gaming videos on the Christian Geek Central channel. The only way I would do that is if somehow I could, in a way that is organic and not forced, bring into it maybe some aspect of the kind of culture surrounding, um, you know, Monster Hunter World or video games, you know, like these, you know, hardcore games, hardcore gamer culture, you know, or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, okay, so I've got that out of my system. I've just been really thinking about Monster Hunter World and wanting to blab about it, and I'm ready for my weekend to start. This is my little attempt at trying to mentally start my weekend a little bit early, but okay, blah, 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 blah. Let's get up, let's get to the usual (laughs) closing stuff. I just hijacked the end of my own podcast. Um, I want to thank speculativefaith.com and Mike Duran for the uh, article that they uh, they lent to us this week. Thank you very much for that, guys. Stay tuned for DS9 Shawarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you'd like to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. Is anyone still listening? I'm curious like how, you know, if you, if uh, how many people like turn off once I start rattling off the stuff that you normally hear every week how many people just shut it off and skip maybe you don't skip maybe you skip after I tell you what's coming next week even though that is sometimes inaccurate because I have to change my plans like I did this week sorry next week if God allows it uh, anyway I will share the final installment of the summer of free 2018 going in a different direction than I thought I would go in terms of video game content. The video, the way I'm going to talk about video game stuff, Summer of Free related stuff next week, is uh, I, I think might take you by surprise and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and then I'm also going to share my thoughts on the big announcements and reveals from San Diego Comic Con 2018. And if I have time, don't hold me to this, if I have time, I might squeeze in some brief reactions to No Man's Sky Next. That's the big multiplayer update. I'm not going to be playing multiplayer, but other things are coming with it. 
And uh, I've, I'm always curious whenever a new update for that game comes out to go back to it and see if they've ironed out some of the things I really want them to iron out that would really keep me hooked in that game long term instead of just kind of like the spurts uh, that, that it's brought me back for each time there's a major update. So we'll see if this is the one that finally kind of hooks me in for the long haul. But uh, anyway, I don't know if I'll share any. If I do, it'll just be f- exclusively for you guys listening to the podcast. I won't go to the trouble of like making a video for that kind of thing. I'd probably just be at the end here in the derailing segment <laughs> of the end of the podcast. Anyway... Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by purchasing an audio drama with our sale going on or leaving a donation. You can get more information from our About page at spiritblade.com. Thank you guys so much for making time for this show and all of my random blabberings. Uh, blabberings, that's... Okay, all right. For a second there, I said, did I just say something about blubber? No, I said blabber, blabber. Okay, I hope you have a great week, guys. Uh, and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian E. Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian E. Central community at ChristianEcentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. Oh, Ferengi love songs. What more do I need to say than just the title alone tells you everything. This is, there are several Ferengi episodes. Some of them are good, some of them are not. What's sad is this is a terrible episode and it's not even the worst we're going to get. That's next season. But this is still an awful, awful episode. It's just so hack and predictable and relies on really lame coincidences and... It's, everything is just so cheesy and lame. It is like a bad sitcom. And I do mean bad, not even a good sitcom. Uh, Cork, for seemingly no reason but because the story says so, is feeling very, very depressed. And Rom convinced him to go home and visit their mother to help him feel better. Now, if you'll remember, Cork does not exactly have a very close relationship with his mother. They always fight. They're very stubborn. He's a very stubborn traditionalist. She's a very stubborn... I guess, anti-traditionalist. And so Quark goes there. Well, I, I, I guess if I did not get along with my mom, if we always butted heads over issues and we always fought politics and all that, if I'm feeling depressed, I wouldn't go to her to feel better. I don't know why Quark does, except for he's got to have a reason to go and oh, anything else would require actual imagination. So here we are. And of course it turns out his mother is having a relationship with the Grand Negus secretly, and their work, and she's also his financial advisor. And Brunt, if you remember him, shows up. He's the only person who's an enemy of the family, apparently. And he convinces Quark to sabotage his relationship. And 
As a, and as a result, it turns out that Grand Negus Zek is incompetent, losing his mind due to old age, and he's absent-minded, and she was actually helping keep him together. So everything starts falling apart. So Quark manages to get them back together, yada, 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 exactly the same hacky sitcom, and let's forget that we have an incompetent in charge of one of the major powers of the Alpha Quadrant. All because of love. And if you want even more cheesy and hack subplot, it turns out Rom is going to marry Lita, the Bajoran uh, Dabo girl that he's been romancing for a while. That's all fine and good. It's kind of a funny thing that, you know, this super hot woman wants this really ugly guy. But sadly, that's the most unique thing about them. And so basically, Dax, and what's weird is Dax usually, there's a lot of. No, this doesn't make sense to their character in this episode. Dax, who usually seems very sympathetic to the Ferengi concepts, is trying to quote-unquote compliment Rom on how not like a regular Ferengi he is. And, I mean, what's weird is she uses the same tactics that Quark uses. Uses the, oh, well, it's amazing that you would actually put up with this terrible thing they do all the time. I guess I would be too small-minded to do it, but you seem to like it, and you don't care that this looks like they're doing this to you. And so when Quark does that, he's doing it deliberately to sabotage him. So Dax either is deliberately trying to sabotage Rom, which the episode does not say that she's doing, or Dax is so stupid, she doesn't realize how what she says is going to be interpreted by Rom. That seems to be the case, but they don't dwell on that either. And again, I, I don't want to pick on Dax, but it seems like Dax just keeps ruining everything for everyone that she claims to care about. So, of course, you know, Rom has decided he's going to do the prenup, and she won't sign the prenup. Oh, we won't get along, and what will happen? Oh, wait, we'll bond, and we'll get back together. Woo. So, yeah, this episode was just a lot of nothing much happened. I mean, I guess the fact that Rom and Lita are engaged, which is going to come up in the future, although that could have just been mentioned off-camera, practically was anyway, or there's the fact that Quark's mom is in a relationship with the Grand Nagus, which, again, will come back later, but... You don't really need to know these things. You don't need to have seen an episode to tell us about these things. Or at least, could you give us a good episode that tells us these things? Uh, There's not much to say. It's not even, like, wretchedly bad. It's not painful. It's just lame and hack. You know, believe me, wretchedly painful will be next season when we get to Profit and Lace. My pick for absolute worst DS9 episode ever. This is basically the lead-up to Profit and Lace, but, yeah, it's just... You can forget about it. You don't you won't learn anything you don't need to know. Talk to you later.